Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence with us. Uh, we thank you so much for your love uh, that is uh, inexhaustible, uh, that truly has uh, uh, touched most of our lives in a way that uh, we will forever be grateful for. Uh, I pray that that uh, love and presence and change will uh, be real to each one today, uh, to whatever degree they share a measure of that, um, and that you would help us see what effect that has on the here and now, on uh, how we treat each other, uh, on how we interact as uh, brothers and sisters. Would you give us grace to understand something about this, perhaps in a way we haven't uh, today, in Jesus' name, amen. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, I, uh, I had a little uh, talk over here uh, between Joseph and his youngest son, Ephraim. Joseph of the Old Testament, the Hebrew prince of Egypt. He calls his uh, son in and he sits down with him, begins to talk to him about uh, who he is, because uh, that would have been, uh, I imagine, a conversation he had to have at one point. He was a Hebrew and he had married an Egyptian, and uh, now all of a sudden all these cousins moved in across the river and... Uh, this kid, think about it, he would have been going to school with all the Egyptians, but uh, he's actually half Hebrew. Where did that all come from? And, and that's an interesting thing to explore. But what Joseph had to say with him, that one beginning of the story, was this. I want you to understand something essential if you're going to understand anything in life. You were born the privileged, prized pinnacle of God's creation. You are made in His image. You are distinct from anything else that God has ever made. You are more loved, cared for, valuable, and indispensable to the Almighty God than you will ever plumb the depths of understanding. You are privileged. But you are also prideful, lost, a sinner by nature and by your own choice without hope before an absolutely holy God. You've rebelled against Him. You've broken His law. You've willingly denied Him in spite of His faithfulness and His goodness and His blessing and His perfect purposes for you as His child. You are prideful. Both of these things are absolutely true. And you, like me, your father, uh, like, like your grandfather Jacob, like, like his father Isaac, like his father Abraham before him, you're going to have to wrestle with what you and God are going to do about this. This is the beginning of Joseph's story. This is the beginning and the first lesson in anyone's story. What are you going to do with the fact that God considers you a privileged child of His. And in the face of all that blessing, you have willingly, deliberately, and belligerently sinned against Him. Wow. You see, I am not, I am quite sure that we are not as in touch with the power of these two realities in our life as we think we are. Our pride and our privilege. Again, this is not just the story of Joseph. This is the story of any one of us living out our story within God's greater history. 
So how does that story begin? It begins with asking this question. Who am I? And understanding the pride and privilege that you're born with. Both of these exist. They cannot be explained away. We are born with them. In God's love and incredible blessing in your life, He has adorned you with tremendous privilege. The significance of this jacket, this the master's jacket, brings so many privileges, it is as much given as it is earned. The one who can wear this has all kinds of privileges that last for years to come just because they have it. Just like you, created in His image, privileged beyond what you'll ever fully understand. But in the face of that privilege, you did this. You took it. And you flew in the face of it. And you tore it up. You messed it up. And it's beyond repair. And what are you going to do about that? Our first lesson is learning the depths of these two things. It's about the breaking of this. Our sin, our pride. And deepening the understanding of this. Our privilege. Because both of those are absolutely true. Now, as I said last time, understanding that, that both these realities are true, and if you could grab a hold of those and understand them, not with any way of excluding one or the other, you'll come to an understanding of humility. Humility is a realistic understanding of exactly who we are in these two ways. It's not self-denigration or, or some kind of self-inflated uh, view of ourselves. It's a proper understanding of who we are in all of our strengths and weaknesses in how much we have sinned against God and how much He loves us. And that's good. But if I stop there, it's tragic because that's just self-help. What you need is God's help. When we understand the solution to that problem, then that leads to salvation. So much more than just humility. And for this, we had to go to our Jesus point. Because Joseph's story is going to be helpful for us this year, but he didn't get it all. We have to fast forward into other parts of Scripture to find out the answer to this issue. And there we went to Philippians chapter 2 and found that Jesus Christ Himself, in very nature God, privileged, then took on your sinfulness. He relinquished His privilege and He robed Himself in your pride. And of course, nailed it to a cross, buried it in a tomb, rose from the dead to pay for that. So that you might understand and accept what He has done to save you from yourself. You see, He did so because of your privilege in His eyes. But He had to do so because of your pride and your sin against Him. So there is the principle. Now, I care about you enough and love you enough that I am not going to let this go. 
I feel like a parent looking at this kids going, you know, this is going to hurt you more than, I mean, more than it's going to hurt you. If you ever, you know, those of us who swore we'd never say that, and then, you know, there came a day when we did that, you know. Or maybe I'm like a personal trainer, you know, where, you know, you hire this person because you really, you really want to get this, you know, get the weight off, you want to get in shape and everything, and they're looking at you going, you got 10 more, you got 10 more, come on, come on, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it, I can't do it, yes, you can, you can do it. Maybe I'm like that. I have been doing this now for 30 years. And if there is anything I'm guilty of and wish I had done more, it would have been doing more with less. You see, I think we're like spiritual gluttons, stuffing ourselves with gutwadden. You know what gutwadden is? You wouldn't know. That's a, a term my father-in-law used um, when it was about um, it was about food that you ate that really wasn't all that good, but you were hungry and you needed something, and so it just kind of filled the space, you know, you know, and, and, and complain about something. You go, well, at least it's good gut wadden, you know. It's just we spiritually stuff ourselves with all kinds of stuff, swallowing without chewing, you know, feasting on truth and then failing miserably to exercise what we have digested into spiritual action into godly muscle, into obedient service. We're like a bunch of spiritual blimps with lots of stuff we've taken in. But we're not doing as much with it as we know we should. After all, this is a, a year to learn, and that means doing something with what we've come to understand. And this is how I would like us to do that. Establish a principle out of Joseph and then allow that principle to take us some places that would help us digest and build some muscle and, and obey by doing. So the principle is this pride and privilege and that's what this you know, crazy pyramid is all about here. There are some absolutes that we can be certain of that we build upon. And out of those absolutes, we begin to develop some convictions and those convictions begin to affect our preferences. You know, thank you very much, but I prefer to remain the way I am. You know, that kind of thing I'm talking about. Like this stuff starts to, which drives so much of what we do because we basically are on a happiness search, not a truth search in our lives. Just be honest with yourself. You know, we... We need to establish some things that we know we can build upon and then allow that to begin to affect who we are. Our convictions and our preferences, they turn into behavior that's not just an intellectual discussion, but it helps us build towards unity. And the purpose of this pyramid is that it has four dimensions here, or four sides in this three-dimensional understanding. You see, first of all, we establish what the absolutes are and then convictions that grow out of that so they can affect our preferences. But, but there's some other dynamics here. We need to come to some personal conclusions. And I hope at the end of this time that you're going to go through an exercise that I'm offering you. The, you're going to come to some personal conclusions of what you need to do. And that begins to affect your public behavior. It starts to affect the things you actually do coming out of these things that you've learned and build some spiritual muscle. Understanding that everybody is in this process. 
then everybody's going to be at a different place and they're going to arrive at different conclusions and they're not yours. Don't worry about it. As I'm going to say later, you're the only one that can truly control what to do when you differ with someone else. And when we put those together, we start to grow towards unity. This leads us up and in so that we become more unified as a body of believers, as brothers and sisters, even in our families and relationships with our friends. So just imagine that I have just fed you an amazing plate of pasta. And if you come to my house and eat the pasta, my wife, my wife you know, learned how to make in Italy, believe me, it's amazing. And I only say it because everybody goes, whoa, that stuff's incredible. And then we, we're going to run those carbs into muscle and conditioning ourselves to strengthen and to change and to obedient fitness for Christ. And so here are three ways that I want to do that in the month of October. As we consider who I am, the first lesson, then we need to understand dealing with me, first of all. Why Christians differ? Why do we differ? Israel's sons here. I mean, this was the amazing family that God had chosen to to make uh, out of which the, the, the 12 tribes of Israel. I mean, these guys... You know, their names are like going to go on in prosperity forever. And they're fighting with each other like a bunch of brats. What's with that? Yeah. What's with that? What's with us? How come we're still doing that? How come we fight like a bunch of brats sometimes? So I want to talk about that today. But then, then I want to take it Beyond that, to dealing with me and those that I love. And I'm going to call that trouble in the house. These brothers are attacking and beating and, you know, abusing Joseph. That wouldn't happen with us, would it? Any chance that this pride and privilege issue that we have to deal with has gotten twisted in such a way that we really misuse and abuse and mistreat each other? I think it can be. And that's the idea of taking that concept even deeper on the 27th of October. So I encourage you to be part of that. And then, dealing with those that I should love. Slavery. Joseph got sold off into slavery. That doesn't happen anymore. That only happened back then. Are you sure about that? Do we have any responsibility towards modern day slavery? Talk about putting some truths into action. So those are just three ways I want to do that with this first principle. So let's begin with dealing with me. Why do Christians differ? What's with this chosen family fighting with each other? Yeah, well, we do the same thing. We're such a mess, aren't we? And you know what? That's okay. In a sense that, in the sense that that's what this place is for. I was just, uh, had a chance to, to dedicate the, Room 203 there for our new family worship uh, just a few minutes ago. And I was I took them back to the real white pages of your Bible in Second Chronicles chapter 7. You know where you never go? The ones that you can never find because they're all stuck together? Yeah, because you never read back there. And, and they created this marvelous worship space. And the cool thing about it was, besides the amazing amounts of gold and silver and precious stones and how huge the thing was, and they had this incredible party and they danced and they sang and they had this marvelous... And God filled the temple with His glory and then He 
brings fire from heaven to consume all of the sacrifices. And they all went home going, wow, it was amazing. But then in the quiet of Solomon's temple, God comes to him and says, listen, I know you need this place. And I want this to be a place for imperfect people. Imperfect people. Not all dressed up and looking shiny like the gold. I want people to come here who've come for a reason. Because something's wrong. They want my forgiveness. And they want to turn away from what they've been doing. Because when that happens, then I am going to hear and I will heal and I will forgive. We are a mess. And we have been for all of this time. So let's learn from history and take a few thoughts out of Joseph's life, first of all, and see why we're a mess. You see, I see a sight problem here. He sees self. That's what he sees. He's got his eye on the eye. You know, he's a tattletale and comes back and, you know, oh, they were beating up on me. I don't know exactly what the deal was, but he bought a bad report. You know, I I just was a brother and I know how that kind of goes. And then he's preferred and he's spoiled and he just loves it, you know, he just goes with it, you know, and he... He gets the jacket and he wears the jacket. And then he starts in with the dreams and he, and he has a dream and they don't like the dream very much. And he goes and tells them another one. He's flaunting this whole thing. You know, we all look at that and go, yeah, well, he's a kid. You know, he's young. We all made those mistakes, you know. But it's not okay. That should have been a teaching moment for his father to say, no. You don't do that. Unfortunately, his father was enabling him and empowering it. And how many of us do that? How many of us are, are, are not taking those moments with our children and going, wait a minute. I know everybody else is doing that, but that isn't okay. Life is not about self-determination. It's about God-glorification. And there's very little self in that. And then we see short. You know, there's no, no thought beyond the here and now. There's no deference to the effect that this might have on anybody else. You know, no holding his tongue a little bit saying, well, maybe these guys, I, you know, I can't even sure what these dreams mean and it's making my brother feel bad, so maybe I'll just keep my mouth shut for a while and watch this play out. No, he, no concerning, you know, um, with his dad, what kind of this preferential treatment might have effect on the others. You know, dad, maybe, maybe we ought to kind of Let's put the coat away for a while because this is really messing with Reuben, you know. And No, he's just going with it. And his brothers did the same thing. They come up with this rash plot, you know, to, to, to make him look like he's dead and plan. They sell him and they don't, they sell him out and then they, and then they don't think about the effect that's going to have on their father. And later they really regret that. We see that later. And then worst of all, We're such a mess because we see something that isn't there. We assign and we assume motives. Now follow me on this one. This is such a huge issue. Job brings a bad report about his brothers to his dad. And and then the brothers are doing the same thing. Because he had these dreams, they assume that he thinks he's better. Did he say that? 
I mean, maybe he did by attitude, but they're assigning motive to this. Anytime you have a problem with somebody and then you go talk to somebody else about it, you can't help but do that because what you have to do is describe the situation. And in describing the situation, you assign or assume motive. Well, you know what he did? You know what she did? You know what they said? You know... And all of a sudden, you're putting something into that that may very well not be there. How many problems would be solved if we didn't go to somebody else and recount the, you know, the story and assign motive and went right to that person to try and figure out what was going on? You know, many times when we do that, we find our eyes open because it's more about misunderstanding than it is about intention. I'm not saying it can't be. It just usually is more than we think it is. We're a mess, aren't we? And we dress up good on Sunday mornings. And we come in and we smile and it's all good. But that doesn't address the issue. Instead, acknowledging the mess does begin to deal with the issue. So, how can we do that? Beat you up enough. Let's go find a solution. In Philippians, again, I want to take you back to the passage that we were in before, you know, last last time. But I want to go to chapter 1 first, and I want to ask you a question. Do you get this? Let me consider the setting, first of all. This is, this is some of his, Paul's favorite people that he's writing to. This is one of the best churches. This is called the joyful epistle, epistle because there's so much good going on. And, and since he's left, things have gone bad for Paul. People are preaching for the wrong, you know, Christ for bad motives and everything. And, uh, and he's been thrown in jail. And so at the beginning of the chapter, he's telling him, listen, don't worry about it. God has everything under control. In all these circumstances, he's using these for his purposes. And then he says, listen, same kind of thing's happening to you. You guys are getting into trouble. Look at verse, chapter 1, verse 27. Whatever happens, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. This is an interesting word, conduct. Paul uses it just one time. The only other guy to use it is Luke. And Luke is a Greek himself. And this is a word packed with significance for a person who was Roman or Greek. Because it speaks of a citizenship, um, a membership of a state or a country. This is about behavior based upon who you are. You see, these people would have been able to, in the right circumstances, in that society, say, you don't get it. I'm a Roman citizen. Don't mess. Or, I am, a, I am a, a citizen of this city. You're just a foreigner here. I'm Greek. I grew up here. This, this is how it is. You see, that's what he's appealing to here. Because conduct yourself in a manner worthy of, of who God says you are. This is about the privilege of all that God has done for you. This gospel-saving sacrifice. You're not worthy of it and you couldn't earn it. But now that you've got it, you can conduct yourself in a way worthy of it because He has indwelled you and He's given you the power to do that. Oh no, you couldn't change this thing and just flip it from one side to the other. He had to. But now that He has, now conduct yourself in a way, a manner worthy of that. And you can now. Acknowledge your mess, that God has met you there and He loved you in that. And He has defined you Beyond that. I had a privilege last week to go to um, a conference uh, Scott Millard and I went to last year as well. And uh, it's just 
excellence. Really, really uh, encouraging, inspiring, and helpful uh, for, for where we are in, in, in leadership of this church. And uh, tremendous speakers. Uh, one of these guys, um, particularly uh, difficult to listen to because he just kind of lays you waste. I mean, the guy's just, his name's David Platt, in case you uh, heard of him. Um, just trying to remember his, uh, his book, Radical, I believe it's called, worth reading. Uh, you know, Scott came in and goes, oh, yeah, Platt's on the thing. I, 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 you know, I'm dreading that message already, you know, <laughs> because he's just, he's just so unbelievably clear. And, and I want to quote him and a couple other guys in these things because I really came away with a few things that just really touched me in terms of this idea of who we are, how God has defined us beyond just forgiving us. He said something like this, before the mountains were formed, before the waters spilled on this earthen crust, before the stars were flung into space and the sun and the moon hung to give light, before any of those amazing things happened, he had his eye on you. Ever thought about that? Before the creation of the world, God had his eye on you. Saying, I want you to be so much more than this. I want you to be defined by this. Do you get that? He's called us to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of what He wants us to be. So how do we do that? Well, now we flip over to chapter 2. And allow me to read these verses. It's almost sarcastic. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, really, any encouragement? Any, a, a little, you know, united with Christ, okay? He loves you and decided you were going to be His child. That's not encouraging or anything, is it? Any comfort from His love? The God of the universe loves you? Any fellowship with the Spirit? God's Spirit indwells you? Not a little bit of presence and comfort there, is there? Any tenderness or compassion when you didn't deserve it? Anybody heard of Mark Lowry? Christian singer, comedian, some years past, so, you know, I'm showing my age again, but uh, it's pretty funny. I heard him do something one time. Um, he had been called into the singing ministry. He just knew it. God had called him into it. So, you know, he, he prepared himself as a singer, you know, as he says. And, uh, and he went off to his first gig. You know, he got invited to some church, whatever. And he says, I went. I did the very best I could, you know. And I did it all and, and did my thing. A little bit of humor, a lot of music, you know. And, and then the pastor came up to me after and said, that was great. It was so wonderful to have you with us, which was translated in evangelicalese. I got nothing for you, you know. Pat him on the back. Thanks for coming. Not a cent. And he leaves and he is angry. Now, he says, I wasn't angry at them. 
I was angry at God. Because God called me into this whole thing. So if He called me into it, you know, He's got to provide for me. So He's yelling and screaming at God, driving down the road, just really angry with Him. And He was a Baptist, so He didn't hear from God, if you know what I mean. Um, so that's what he says. But, but he said, I, it's not like I heard an audible voice, but there was this thought that ran through my mind that was just undeniable. One little phrase. Hey, Mark, sure beats hell. <laughs> now think about that. I'm not just trying to be, you know, I'm not swearing on stage. I mean, that's a reality, Okay. Don't you see who you are in me? Can't you stop and consider all that I've done for you? Any earthly situation you could ever face is better than the damnation you deserve. Any comfort from His love? Any encouragement that you've been united with Him? Another guy, quote from this conference, John Acuff. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, He knows your name. Think about that. You show up in heaven, you walk into His throne room, and He goes, oh yeah, wait a minute, no, 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 you're from Jersey. Um... He knows your name. Tellian Trevidian says, the gospel announces that because Jesus was strong for you, you're free to be weak. Because Jesus was victorious, you're free to lose. Because Jesus died for you, you're free to live. Better yet, die to yourself. See yourself as He does, but get the eye off the eye. Make a list of the things that God has done for you. Any encouragement from being united with Christ? Any comfort from His love that He would look at you and say, I love you, and He knows your name when He says it. Any any truth that you've known the Spirit of God is present and encourages and strengthens you where you are? Any tenderness and compassion when you deserved anything but that? See, make a list of things that God has done for you. Then, we need to look around. That's verse 2, okay? So, just God, first of all. But then, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Like-minded, having the same love, and one in spirit and purpose. Look at around to, at, at the people that are around you. Okay, so my brother and I didn't get along. Let me tell you about Lee, me, and a hockey fight. Uh, Lee is my brother, just older than I am. And, and I've told you before, we didn't get along. We, we really wasn't until college that we kind of made peace with each other. So I know kids squabble and fight, but uh, this was like, you know, a little bit on the pathologic side or something. And uh, we just, so, so one time we were in high school, and, you know, we're, we can't stand each other, and, and we go off to a high school retreat. And, um, and we had a... Um, we had a fight. Uh, you, it was uh, playing hockey. You've heard, you know, you're the definition of hockey, right? You know, there's a fight and then a game breaks out every once in a while. So, so we were playing hockey uh, against this rival church, you know, and, 
And along comes some guy that, that like checks me in some way that, you know, and, and puts me down. And then he's, you know, my next thing I knew, my brother was all over this guy. And he's wailing on him and he's throwing him around. And he's like, oh, dare you, run, 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 you know, and I'm, I'm standing there going, whoa, you know, this is crazy. And, and so then I, I went to him later and, you know, I said to him, uh, uh, I thought you couldn't stand me. And his answer was something like this. I'm not sure I still can stand you, uh, but we're family. And he's not messing with that. You see, for a glimpse, you know, one little moment in his life, he looked beyond himself and he, and he saw beyond that situation in the here and now and said, wait a minute. Now, you ever had that happen to you? Anybody ever done anything for you, you know? that kind of looked beyond themselves and said, whoa, 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 I'm going to help you out here. See beyond yourself and think beyond the here and now. Make a list of things that people have done for you. So we look back and we make a list of things that God's done for us. We, we look around and we make a list of things that others have done for us. And then, and then we look down. Verses 3 through 5. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. And then by implication, it goes into the rest of the verses. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God. Did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So this word consider is used twice. In verse 3, to tell you to consider others more important than yourselves. What the word means there is, it means to lead, or it can be, can be translated chief or judge or rule. In other words, take the initiative and decide that that person's going to be more important than you are. That's what that means. And then, what's interesting about it is then in verse 6, that same word is used about Christ, and it's negated. He did not consider all of his chiefdom, his leadership, is who he should have been to say, I won't hang on to that for your sake. I'll dress myself in all of the filthy rags and I'll go to the cross and I'll pay the price. He who is everything became for you nothing. And what's interesting is, he never accused you of trying to nail him to the cross even though that's exactly what you did. He didn't assign motive. He didn't assume that that's what you wanted to do, even though that's what you did. So, don't assume or assign motive. The last list is a list of things that you're now going to do for somebody else, taking all of this truth and this stuff that's going to turn into fat if you don't do something with it. And... And you're going to apply it by doing that. And if you don't know what to put on that list, all you've got to do is go back to the first two and they'll show you what to do. If there's anything that God's ever done for you, maybe that's something you could do for somebody else. If there's anything somebody else has done for you, maybe that's something you could do for somebody else. So you'll see on the back side of your notes there, this place for these lists. List, list what God has done for you. Make a list of 
of what others have done for you and allow those two lists to help you with the third one. It'll help you get the eye off the eye. You see, you're the only one you can control when it comes to differing with someone else. We Christians differ because of our sight problem, because we see too much of ourselves, because we see short, because we see something that isn't there. I want you to see yourself in all of your mess like this. And this is a place where you can come in that mess. It's okay. But then you come to do something with it. The next thing that you see is that Jesus Christ put this on for you. He dressed himself in this, uh, these unworthy rags. And once you see that and accept it and under, you know, accept it by faith that, that he did that for you, then you begin to see yourself in what he means for you to be. And then we can become more of what he wants us to be and not what we often demonstrate ourselves to be. Seeing ourselves in our mess, seeing him dressed in our mess, and then seeing ourselves dressed in his righteousness. When we see our own mess and acknowledge it and see him in it and believe, then we can become more like him and less like us. Well, that ain't easy. But neither are the ridiculous hills that I get on a bicycle as a 52-year-old man and try and pedal up. But I do it because I have to. Because I should. Because the pizza that I gorge on needs to be turned into something besides fat. And that's what we need to do spiritually. So make your lists. And do something about what you've come to understand. Let's pray. Oh wait, just before I pray, if I may. I've asked Tim to come and, and to sing a song written by Michael Gunger. And so if you know the song, you probably don't because I believe it's brand new and it complexity of Gunger's song is not real easy to follow. But I want you to follow along with the words that are up there. It says, this is a song to confess our sins, to lay it out and try to begin again, to hope again. Referring to the Lord, he says, please forgive our ignorance in looking down on you. Please forgive our selfishness for hiding in our pews while the world bleeds, while the world needs us to be what we should be. And then he says, sings to us, this is a song for cynical saints, for the burned out and hopeless, the ones that we've cast away. I feel your pain, he says. Please forgive the wastefulness of all that we could be. But don't forget, there's more than this. The beauty still exists. 
The bride is alive. The bride is still alive. This is a song for my family inside the walls of Sunday morning. Be what you should be.